Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to share with you Andreas Forsland, the founder of Cognition. Now, this guy invented a revolutionary sensory communication system that enables people to communicate using body language. So cool. Including a direct brain-computer interface that translates brain waves into communication. His startup has won the prestigious Rodenberry Prize and Gold Edison Award for Social Impact the Singularity University Global Grand Challenge for Education for its potential to impact over a billion lives, as well as the Global Elevate Award. I'm so honored to have you join us today. Welcome, Andreas. Thank you, Heidi. I'm happy to be here. So I first got turned on to um, to you through, actually, it was a it was a crowdfunding campaign for your former device that you were working on, but you're you guys have moved on some really cool stuff. Can you tell the audience a little bit about uh, what you're working on and, and where it's going? Absolutely. Um, I think probably the best way to start talking about our technology is to understand the problem that we're solving. So the inspiration for our company, Cognition, uh, originated uh, about five years ago when my mom was in the uh, intensive care unit uh, at the hospital. She was admitted with severe pneumonia that had turned into septic shock. And so she was on uh, pretty aggressive life support, um, including a, a ventilator as she was intubated uh, and restrained. Um, and she was in the ICU for about seven weeks. Uh, she did survive and she pulled out of it and she recovered over a long period of rehabilitation, uh, which we're thankful for. <clears throat> but during that period, uh, I was having to basically stand in as her communicator uh, with all of her doctors, attorneys, all kinds of other folks, and I had to try and interpret her communication when she was unable to actually speak. Uh, now, when I wasn't there by her side, uh, I was really stressed out, worried about how other people would understand what her intentions were or what she needed when they didn't understand that she couldn't speak. So as a side uh, sort of you know, side effect of not being able to be understood, especially in an ER setting, uh, the first thing that nurses do is they increase your sedation and provide all kinds of, uh, you know, sedatives into your body, which are not really good for you long term. So as a result of that, that inspired me to really think about her situation and saying, well, gosh, what an emotional uh, impact that it made to me uh, in my life, uh, as well as hers, the, just the sheer need for communication. Uh, but what I didn't realize were just how many people in the world go through that exact same situation. Uh, there's about in the U.S. alone, there's about five million people that are admitted into the ICU uh, every year uh, in North America alone uh, for pneumonia and complications that they get intubated. So it's a fairly large uh, issue uh, that people are faced with just with that alone. Uh, but when I panned out and I looked even beyond that, we realized that there's all kinds of uh, individuals, about 370 million uh, worldwide. Uh, that are unable to speak. And that may be for a number of reasons. It may be due to uh, strokes uh, or aphasia or brain injuries or ALS or perhaps even 
uh, birth defects such as cerebral palsy or Down syndrome or autism uh, that prevent them from being able to communicate. So it really became a fire in our belly. Uh, we built a team to really address this need for uh, providing easier access to technology that can enable people that can't speak to be able to at least be able to be understood, whether that be very basic things like yes or no, uh, or more advanced communication such as their wishes or requests. So that's really how we started. And what we ended up creating at the very beginning was a little prototype device called a smart stone. And it resembles a little river stone that included touch sensors and motion sensors. So if you think about a little, uh, like a Nintendo remote controller, like a Wii controller, it behaved kind of like that, where you could rub across the surface different patterns or you could move it in different directions with gestures. Uh, and it was connected to an app on an iPhone that would generate speech based on the different gestures or inputs that you would provide, nonverbal inputs. And that was really the initial proof of concept for what we were doing, you know, really building technology that could interpret body language, gestures and sign language, et cetera, and turn it into simple speech. Moving on beyond that, we always imagined and dreamed of what, what would it be like if you could actually really just use your brain directly, you know, to be able to express yourself without your mouth, just with a direct brain interface to the computer. And so we felt that that was something that was uh, you know, it was kind of a bit of science fiction. It was really far away. But again, when we started looking into it, we realized that we could actually build that technology off of the foundation that we had already established. And we went for it and went ahead and uh, started working on uh, our own uh, brain-computer interface, which is essentially a headset uh, that has sensors in it. And it does kind of what the stone did, um, but with your brain waves instead of gestures. That is so amazing. And I, I mean, it's just... It's mind-boggling to me to to see all of the advances in AI and the work that you're doing, and it's just it's really profound where this is going to impact so many people that have been disconnected from their communities, from society, from being able to communicate with their doctors. But I mean, just beyond healthcare, I think this is really really exciting, and I, I commend you for uh, for your efforts. Have you found that that with your own work with this, has it changed your relationship with technology and and the way that that you think of engaging with technology, or is it um, have you always been sort of looking in that space and and just always seeing sort of the next step and the innovation that's happening there? Yeah, wow, that's a <laughs> we could probably talk a while on that. Um, uh, I think my my personal background, uh, my background is design. Uh, so, you know, my first job out of college was at IBM. And so I was exposed at a very early, uh, sort of early period with technology. We were literally building the first intranets and the first, you know, the World Wide Web at the time, you know, uh, and uh, we were doing really amazing things with really rudimentary technology. So I've kind of always worked in technology, but I've come at it from a different perspective. Um, and then over time as a designer, you learn that it's beyond just sort of the visual elements of design. It's more about how you can create experiences that are much more natural, right? Much more human in nature, where the technology, you don't have to learn it, that the technology can start to learn you. So philosophically, I've always been a fan of technologies that just kind of disappeared uh, and was kind of invisible so that the things that I were interacting with were much more organic and natural. 
hence the original smart stone concept, you know, and, and I think that's really kind of lended itself nicely to what we're doing now, where we're really even pushing the boundaries on that uh, even further with a natural interface where we're literally miniaturizing technology, little sensors and, you know, technology that you don't even have to see uh, to be able to read brainwaves and generate speech through say, a small wearable microphone. So, you know, I see the future as being over the next 10 years as things get smaller and smaller and more powerful, such as, uh, all you know, artificial intelligence, um, software and processing power gets better and better. We're going to see a world where technology kind of disappears and the world becomes a bit more magical. I love that. And I think that's that's so much of, of the work that I've do and and uh, the research that I did during my dissertation work was sort of the outcomes were really the importance of that seamless relationship where you don't even notice that the technology is there. It just becomes part of essentially your digital self when you get to that balance place. And, and, and it's exciting to see that the technology is evolving to a space where we can create that seamless relationship and it doesn't become as much of a disruptor, but it becomes an enabler. And that's so exciting. For you, I actually, because we don't know each other personally, this is one of the few interviews where I don't have a history with you other than I have a history with following your work, which I love. But, I mean, do you have, uh, do you have kids? Do you have, do you have family? Uh, you, you obviously, your mother, you ha- have a relationship with her around trying to support her by developing technologies that will, you know, enable her. But... We often see as a sandwich generation uh, where people have a different relationship with technology in their personal life than they do in their business. You know, those lines get muddied more and more as the technology is evolving. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship there with technology? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, what's kind of funny is, um, you know, I as being an advocate for cutting edge technology, I, I try and reduce the amount of technology I have in my life. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm married and I have two young boys, um, 11 and six, you know, my, I have very little time, you know, so I'm always kind of trying to juggle a lot of different commitments and making sure that, you know, my relationships with family and friends, um, you know, continue to be, a part of my life, um, you know, doing this work is uh, really, a, it's a it's a large, large part of my life and my time. You know, having things that are intrusive, so, so again, kind of going back to technology that just kind of works and it disappears, I spend time trying to pick technologies that kind of don't um, intrude too much into my life. So, one, like some of the things we do, we, we don't watch TV at home. Right. Like that's just one of the things that we choose to do, except for weekends um, or special occasions like the Olympics. So, uh, you know, that buys us more, you know, personal downtime to be able to really connect with each other and, and, and appreciate things. Um, because I'm really busy, I, I tend to look for calendaring systems that can kind of be automated. So I don't know, uh, you know, when people want to set up meetings, I, I literally publish my next two weeks of availability uh, on a website um, where you can come and pick 15 minutes of time uh, to meet with me. And I can see those automatically put going into my calendar so that I don't have to worry about the back and forth of calendar management. So I spend a lot of time with technology trying to optimize it to just kind of automate and do the things that I don't need to spend time doing. Yeah, you and you actually you moved right into the next question I was going to have in terms of you know a, a lot of us, as, particularly as entrepreneurs, 
it's that ultimate challenge to balance your work and your life. And so part of that is building the boundaries so that you can be fully present with the people that you love and, and with your clients and whatnot, but finding that ultimate balance and what kinds of uh, boundaries and tools you use. Do you do things like, you know, for example, I always use the example of I have a docking station in my house, so I'm very sort of uber-connected in my work, but I try to, when the workday is done, dock my phone and be fully present to in my family when I'm home. Do you have any systems in place besides that? Uh, you mentioned that you don't do TV except for on special occasions in the weekend. Do you have any other systems in place to develop those good habits for your kids and your family? Uh, you know, it, 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 it's kind of interesting. Um, one of the things that we, so, so my kids originally uh, started out um, their schooling in Montessori and the Montessori uh, curriculum is, you know, really designed to help try and facilitate like the normalized child, right? So being able to have uh, sort of predictability and continuity uh, from within school to out of school and at home. Uh, you know, what we try and do is find ways to just kind of keep things normalized. So, um, you know, we really, like, they really don't spend a whole lot of time on iPads. They do, you know, mobile devices. They, they, they use them for research and stuff like that. Occasionally, they like to do Minecrafting and stuff like that for, for class projects. Um, you know, so that everything's kind of intentional about how we're using technology. But another fun thing about normalizing is we do this kind of weird thing. I don't know if anybody, any of your you know, listeners uh, to this or not, but uh, we've sort of tried to create a little culture at home that's a little bit more like what we do at work. So we, we have a, uh, what we call our family, the team power dogs. <laughs> and so uh, every week we have a stand-up meeting before dinner um, and everybody goes around and sets the agenda and talks about things that are going on, um, makes special requests. And, uh, you know, even our six-year-old has a voice in sort of the, you know, the, the direction of what, what the family does as a unit. And then we write those things down and then we, we start to execute those things. And so, you know, these are little things that we can use technology now to, you know, push calendar invites to the kids, even though they're on iPads and they occasionally check their calendars and they're doing homework and so on. So it's kind of fun because it allows the kids to take on more sort of authority, you know, as they're growing up, you know, without much recourse. So they get to really enjoy and, and sort of leadership capabilities at a young age. So. I'm kind of uh, <laughs> wandering here a little bit, but um, you know, you know, technology and the use of it kind of blurs a little bit. Um, you know, our whole focus, or my whole focus, is ensuring that the people in my life have access to growth, whether that be educational growth or spiritual or you know, physical growth uh, opportunities. Um, and that sort of normalizes in my life and how I approach our work. So whether that's employees in our team uh, or contractors or vendors, as well as the end users who are using our technology, everything is focused on increasing uh, human capacity. Um, so that's kind of a philosophy I have, and I try and bring that into everything that we're doing. I love that. And I think, you know, the idea of power meetings before dinner is just it's just brilliant. I, I, I think that's a a great tip for our audience and for me. I mean, I have teenagers and I just think they need to be part of that decision-making process. And there are so many key decisions that they're making at this point. I wish we'd started it earlier. We have a practice of doing high-low before dinner where we sort of go around the table and, you know, say your highs and your lows of the day or your most, your most high and most low. But it just being able to encourage communication in, in that is something that 
you know, it's it's sort of a lost skill in a lot of families, and and so I, I commend you for making that extra effort with your kids. I'm sure they'll be successful entrepreneurs and leaders in the way that you're raising them. <laughs> well, they definitely, they're, you know, it's, at the young age, it's, it's more about character development uh, than anything else, in my opinion. And I think, you know, these little guys have their own unique characters, let's just say that. They, uh, it really comes through now. I love that. No, it's so true. And it's, I mean, it's so amazing watching kids and seeing their capabilities sort of evolve and their interests evolve and how they express them. It's, um, it's pretty cool. And just what they come up with. I mean, my daughter came downstairs. She's been insisting that we get a hot tub. And I'm, I mean, I like the idea of being in a hot tub, but the hot tub maintenance idea just seems so uninteresting to me. But the other day she came, came downstairs with a PowerPoint presentation around it. And it was sort of this, you know, moment where you feel pride in the effort and energy that she put into the research and everything. But at the same time, it's like you can't always give them the win just because they use technology and did that. But uh, mm. certainly the characters come through. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. Yeah. So bear with me for a quick moment here. We're going to have a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Andreas Forslund from Cognition. This episode is brought to you by Oscar Wellness. When pain stops, life begins. Oscar Pulse mimics the body's own recovery processes to relieve pain, muscle stiffness, and inflammation using optimized pulsed electromagnetic field technology. Pemph to encourage recovery at a cellular level so you can get back to life. And I got to tell you, this thing works so well, my husband and I are fighting over it. So I highly recommend you take a moment and try it out. They have all kinds of options for checking it out, and they've even given us an opportunity to share a discount with you, $55, by using the 2BU code on the Oscar Wellness site. You can check out the show notes to get more details. And we're back with Andreas Forschland from Cognition. This is the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. And we are just having a great conversation today about human communication and the different ways that it's really evolved and technology has enabled that. And Andreas was telling us a little bit before about the tools that he was developing. And I just want to go a little bit back over that again, because we sort of stepped away from it. And I just, I think that this is something that needs to be revisited over and over again, because it's going to be really exciting. Now, when is this product going to be available for the general market? Do you have any kind of idea there? And can you tell us sort of what we can be expecting from this product and its availability? Yeah, uh, so the immediate availability right now uh, on our website, uh, cognition.com, that's uh, C-O-G-N-I-X-I-O-N.com. Um, we're offering up a, a, a wait list uh, sign-up uh, form to access it in an early open beta uh, form. So currently, uh, the technology is in what we call an alpha state. So we're doing closed testing uh, with specific partners, um, rehabilitation hospitals, school districts and organizations um, in, in clinical and educational settings. So right now, this year, we're focused on a lot of that primary research to make sure that it's highly usable um, and really easy to use. So, so again, we're targeting, you know, I, ideally, we're aiming for next year uh, for a public release, but we've got some things that we're working on right now that are really exciting. Um, we can't quite talk about it. If you visit our website and sign up to the wait list, we'll be able to share more information with you. 
Great. Well, I think, you know, it's something we should all be following because I don't think there's anyone of our listeners out there that has not experienced or had someone close to them that has experienced challenges in this area. And to be able to communicate, whether it's, I mean, I remember I, I pre-ordered your, your smart stones before, um, because I was so excited about the idea of being able to just, you know, send love to my children and be able to sort of in, in a different way during the course of their day to just show them that they had support. And it, I mean, there was, so many different pieces of that, whether it's your communication is over a different time and space or whether it's you're in the same physical space. Communication can be challenging to be able to express when you have, you know, even more so when you have that physical limitation. It's just, it's profound. Uh, I'm very excited for you and for the potential that these products, the products you're developing have. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think one of the things that we're focusing on are people with specific needs in general. So, uh, you know, our BCI, what we call the BCI solution, or the brain-computer interface part of what we're doing, is primarily designed for people who have severe physical limitations because they aren't able to use their fingers to manipulate a mobile app. So really, it's kind of an access solution for folks who have motor uh, limits. Uh, they can't use their arms and hands. We also have technology that works for people uh, just purely a, a mobile app, right? So you can use our technology uh, in the App Store uh, right now. Um, so we have technology, a uh, mobile app that's available in iTunes called Pros. Uh, that's P-R-O-S-E. And uh, you could associate different uh, finger gestures, uh, different swipes and taps uh, in different configurations on the screen. Uh, and you can program those to simply say whatever you want it to say in just about any language uh, that you'd like to say it in. So for those folks out there who might have somebody who might be interested in, you know, trying some of our technology now, um, you can check it out in, the, uh, in, in iTunes. Great. And that's called Pros, P-R-O-S-E? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And if you look at who the developer is, you just look for cognition, C-O-G-N-I-X-I-O-N. Great. Well, uh, we'll make sure yeah. that all and, of that's uh, in this, the episode notes so that people can go find that because I think that's a, you know, it's a great tool to be able to any, anything that can add to our ability to communicate. And I think about people who have Parkinson's and various other things that make it difficult to be able to, I mean, you know, a touchscreen keyboard, just, it makes it life very challenging. And if your voice is shaky, even more so, so you can't even use the dictation tools, being able to use some of these modified tools that really take advantage of hand gestures or even more so to be able to use just your brain. It's very exciting. Absolutely. And do you, uh, do you know who, um, you may have heard of her. Her name is Carly Fleischman. Carly's, uh, she's, I think she's a 22 year old, uh, nonverbal autistic, uh, young woman. Uh, and she, uh, she has kind of a complex condition where she also has severe, uh, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. So <clears throat> she's a really interesting woman, um, because she, uh, wants to set her career out to become the world's first nonverbal talk show host. And she's already done a number of very popular interviews uh, on YouTube. She has a channel on YouTube called Speechless with Carly Fleischman. And she recently was on the Stephen Colbert show. And she was interviewing Stephen Colbert with a back and forth with him where they both were using our technology to communicate with each other. She was using our technology on an iPad and he was using our technology on an Apple Watch. And so they both were generating speech uh, for their skit uh, back and forth on TV. 
That is so amazing. So can you say that name again? Because I think that's something that, you know, everybody should watch that. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to go watch that. That sounds incredible. Yeah. And I can send a link uh, to it. Uh, the recording is on YouTube. So I could send you a link if you needed to plug that if you wanted to. But uh, her name is Carly, C-A-R-L-Y, Fleischman. Fleischman. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, on the Cabert Show. And um, so she's got a number of other really interesting things that are in the works with her career that are going to, we can't really talk about, but she'll, she'll be releasing that information publicly. But she's, uh, she's definitely got her eye on, on a star on Hollywood. I'll tell you that. And, uh, you know, so it's not just for people who are completely incapacitated or, or bedridden. It's for anyone who really wants to be able to engage socially and really let their character come through. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, that was actually the one place I wanted to segue in a little bit more in that um, the power of being able to open new opportunities for, for people that may have been limited before. Technology has just created this ability to interact in ways that we never were able to and to be able to include other people in the conversation that, that maybe couldn't have engaged before. I was just looking at a demonstration the other day about Alexa and it just got me so excited, you know, thinking about how you can use it for particularly with seniors and, and younger children to be able to, by voice command, do all of these different things that, you know, that we used to have to do via a different type of device that you'd have to plug into a keyboard or whatever. And the possibility of being able to do something like a talk show when you can't even speak, I mean, that's just unheard of, but it just creates new opportunities in a, in a totally different way. What do you see as your sort of, where do you think this is going to go from here? What, what are you excited about? What am I excited about? Wow. Um, the, well, the interesting thing about technology, right, is, is, you know, our intention is to unlock as many voices as we can, right, with the support of community and partners and getting the word out about our technology and making it easy to access. Literally, there's 370 million people in the world that have trouble communicating verbally, right? Uh, you know, so our mission is to see how many of those lives we can impact um, efficiently. You know, so that's really what gets me the most excited uh, about kind of what's ahead. But as with any of these kinds of innovations, you never know what, where else it could go. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we have a number of partners uh, who are contacting us now that want to take advantage and integrate some of our technology into their own technology for other use cases that we haven't really, you know, we've considered, but we, we focused on, on not doing them ourselves. Um, we figured that someone else would want to take our technology in those areas. Um, so we're open to partnering with other companies who uh, perhaps have a use case for our technology, but it's not necessarily uh, in our uh, sort of accessibility focus for disabilities, right? There, there's other mainstream uses for it. But it's, uh, I'm just thinking like to Alexa enabled with your BCI interface and this interface, I mean, can you imagine the world would be so changed and in such a positive way? So many people that have been limited by not having a voice, We'd have some very different yeah, yeah, ideas yeah. and options out there. It'll be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah, our yeah, next politician will be uh, voiceless. <laughs> you never know. Um, I'll tell you this, though. So this is this is a little bit of maybe some new jargon or terminology for you guys. But as a designer, um, there's this, you could look it up. It's called universal design, right? And universal design is a philosophy of designing things for the most limited individual 
And if you focus on designing things for people with very limited uh, or extreme constraints, you end up benefiting everyone in the end, right? And, and so you see examples of universal design that, that everyone takes advantage of now and enjoys and just takes it for granted. Things like curb cuts at the corners of intersections that make it easier for wheelchairs to get, you know, across the street. Well, that's great for everybody, right? Parents pushing strollers or, or anything to get up onto the curb. You think about automated doors that open up at big buildings when you approach them and the doors just automatically open. Those were universally designed accessibility features. Well, guess what? Everybody benefits from a door that opens automatically. So there's a number of these types of things that we just take for granted because they have mainstream benefits, but the true intention of the design was designed for designing for people with limited abilities. Can you say the name of that again? Because I, I think we'll make sure we put it in the show notes, but I think that that's something that Uni- we should all learn more about. Yeah, uh, universal design. Universal design. I love it. Absolutely. Those curb cuts, you know, having pushed strollers around Europe for many years. You know, my kids are teenagers now, so I don't have to do that, fortunately. They'll be pushing me around next. There was definitely, you know, <laughs> taking them over cobblestones and uh, not having curb cuts. That definitely... Um, Worked my biceps at the very least. <laughs> so I'm very happy for those curve cuts. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know what? This has been such a pleasure, and I'm, I'm, my brain is bubbling in a million other questions that I would love to ask you, but I know that your time is limited, and uh, who knows? We'd love to have you back when you launch, and we can hear more about sort of the real impact that's happening out there and some good stories on your journey. But it has been such a pleasure having you today and can't wait to share with everybody the world of cognition and the work that you guys are doing. And for everybody out there, don't forget to go check out that Pros app because that sounds really fun, a great way to to at least you know get a little sense of how his technology works. Do you have any closing words of inspiration or ideas or thoughts that you would like to share with the audience before we sign off? Well, sure. You know, I think, um, you know, the key takeaway for anybody here on this, this conversation is really to consider people with not that they have disabilities, but they have different abilities. Uh, what we see and hear a lot from our community of users, you know, we have individuals who have severe autism, um, but they, you know, autism statistics show that you have a very, very low uh, employment rate. Uh, once they graduate high school or college. Um, so we see technology as being a really great leveler, leveling of the playing field by enabling people to go into the workforce. And so we see lots of uh, large companies ranging from Microsoft and Google and Apple all the way down to just, you know, mainstream grocery stores that are starting to hire people with alternative abilities that can use technology like ours to be able to communicate and interact socially with their coworkers and with customers. So we have, uh, like as an example, we have a number of people up in the Bay Area uh, who, who volunteer or work at, at uh, you know, Starbucks or at a, at a bookstore, at a, at a pharmacy, um, and they're able to do, you know, stocking shelves and they're able to ask, answer questions, um, whether that be with their employers or with other, you know, coworkers or customers. So, you know, I think this is really by taking advantage of technologies like ours and others that are coming online, you're going to see a really different workforce emerging, right? That has different levels of diversity and, and potential for really inspiring and doing neat new things. Thank you so much for, for doing that. And I, I really am excited to see that shift and to see the, those voices actually really be heard and to have their impact because 
I think you're right that that changing workforce is going to give us a real, you know, a more balanced perspective of, you know, what's happening in the world and, and how we can connect people better. So thank you so much for joining us today. And it's been such a pleasure to have you, Andreas. And um, I'm really excited about the work that you're doing. And I, I think I you know, can speak for my listeners and that we just honor you and appreciate you for the work that you're doing for making the world a better place. So with that thought, thank you all for joining us today on the Evolving Digital Self podcast. We look forward to catching you next time. And until then, don't forget to subscribe. And if you're enjoying the show, please rate us and review and invite your friends to come back and listen to the Evolving Digital Self podcast. We look forward to joining you again soon. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.